Amen, church. Good morning. My name is Sean Jones. I'm one of the pastors here at Desert Springs, if you don't know me. And folks, it is time to talk about the Men's Summit. Pastor Steve gets up and talks about the Women's Retreat, and I get to talk about the Men's Summit. It's coming up quick, all right? October 27th to the 29th, and for you men, that probably means like you got a year to figure it out if you're going to go or not, because historically, we just wait till the last minute to sign up. But folks, we're not going to do that this time, all right? I got a few pictures that I will cycle through as we talk about the Men's Summit, just in case you haven't been there. We are up in the woods of Payson. It is a great time. We get away from the heat, I guess. It's still warm in October. It's fun. We have a lot of good food. We have opportunities to just get away from the hustle and bustle. But you might have your own reasons for going to the Men's Summit, and that could be, I just, I just need a break. But the reality is, is that men, we have an issue. And our issue is that we like to live life isolated. Men like to just put their nose to the, to the work and just grind it out. We like to push through it. It's not good for us. We need each other. Men need men. We need our brothers in our life. Like you see here, sitting on the porch, right? Men need each other. It's better to have a companion so that if you fall, another is there to pick you up. Men, we got to get beyond that. And not just because we just need help in this life, because we make mistakes or life's difficult, but because we want to live in a way that gives glory and honor to Jesus. And that means we need to help other men. We need to come alongside them and help them to follow Jesus. So I'm encouraging you, because it's important, and because as men, we are committed to things, to not wait for something else to fill my calendar spot. We have a problem with that too. Well, I'm going to leave it open because maybe something better might come along. But if you're here and you know that you need to follow Christ in this particular fashion of loving men and coming alongside men for our church, then I would encourage you to be committed and sign up today. You don't have to have all the money. It just requires you to put a $25 deposit. You can spend time, but you get registered. One reason I would also encourage you to do this is because come August 1st, so at the end of July... I will open up registrations to other churches in our association. We have the entire camp to ourselves, and I would love to not have to send that email. So, let's go. Let's get 200 plus men to sign up from Desert Springs, and we'll be good to go. I don't have to, you know, have any other church come or invite anyone else. Okay, so think about it. Not too long. And get registered soon. If you got any questions, come talk to me. You can email me. You can text me. You can call me. Whatever it may be. But get registered, men. It's my privilege to be able to open up the scriptures with you. Today, we are going to be in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. We are continuing our series on the letters from Jesus. And we are going to be talking about the church at Sardis. This city has an old history. It was founded about 1200 BC, and the city was originally, uh, it, when it was founded, it became the capital of the Lydian kingdom. One thing that I found interesting about this city when doing the history, and, and let me make it really clear, we have a certain amount of time to go through six verses, okay? And I encourage you to understand as disciples, we can't make you disciples from a pulpit. So the message that I have for you today is the message that God has given to me to speak to you. 
but it's our responsibility to get into the word and to study these things. So if you want to know more about the history of Sardis, take your time and do it. If you want to hear more about what they were doing as a church, take your time and do it. And the best way is in the word of God. And then go read the encyclopedia or something if you want to see other pictures. But this church was located on a hill at the base of Mount Tmolus. Here's a picture of what this Acropolis, this mountain looks like in Sardis. You can see uh, off on the picture, there's a little part of, of some ruins. There's a lot of things that have been excavated here in Sardis. But this, this hill had a flat top like a plateau. And it says that on three of its sides, it was 1,500 feet high. And the city could be reached from the south but it was still a steep and dangerous path. And what's significant about that is because the, where this city was placed, it was practically impregnable. It had great confidence in military victory. It had many victories, but they were conquered twice. And it's interesting because they were conquered the same way both times, that the enemy sent a climber up the mountain. And when the climber got to the top, guess what they found? Asleep on the job had not set a guard. The city was overconfident. And this is important to remember when we look at the church of Sardis. Sardis was known for many things. They had a lot of things going on. They, they did wool. They had agriculture, trade. They, they found jewelry there. One of the things they also did, they were known for, is maybe perfecting the, the art of dyeing fabric. But it was a very um, useful city for the Romans. They did have a temple to their patron deity, Artemis, and they also had emperor worship there in their city. But at the end, of, closing towards the end of the first century, there was a growing population of Jews, but the city seemed to have lost its influence in a time of peace. There was a large earthquake in 17 AD, and a lot of, even the mountain, parts of the mountain had fallen off, but the emperor... Uh, the Roman Emperor Tiberius helped to rebuild this city. I want us to look, before we get into our passage, at what John says at the beginning of Revelation, because I think it's important here as we approach this message. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Folks, there's a blessing here if we will hear what God has to say and obey it. So as we look at this message to Sardis, it's my hope that we would listen to what the Spirit has for us today and that we would res respond appropriately. Chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. You have a name that you were alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The speaker is speaking to the angel here, and he says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, 
Jesus is once again referring to himself from chapter 1, the illustration. We talked about this in all of the previous letters that he keeps pointing to the illustration in chapter 1 to show that he is the one speaking to the church. Jesus says that he has the seven spirits of God and that he has the seven stars. I understand that these descriptions can be hard to understand, but scripture points to that the seven spirits of God is referring most likely to the Holy Spirit. There are some Old Testament passages that help us there, but we look to um, chapter 1 to help us to see that Jesus is the speaker here. And what's important is that Jesus uses his spirit in the work of the church. And he wants to impart that power and what the church so desperately needs. He, he desires to do that. And that's such a good reminder for the church at Sardis, as we'll see, because they need help desperately. He goes on to say that I have the seven stars. And the seven stars are described in chapter 1 as the angels of the church. And we do not believe that Jesus is actually talking about an angel, as that word can also be interpreted as messenger. We believe that Jesus is speaking to the person who is most likely the overseer or the leader of that church, that they would have responsibility over the spiritual state. And these letters were meant to be taken to the church and read aloud. Folks, Jesus is Lord over his church everywhere, regardless if it's in Sardis or if it's in Goodyear. I'm reminded that before he ascended to heaven, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is Lord. And as the church, we are called to go forth and shine bright. That's what God desires from us. And after reminding the church that this is him speaking, he says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Let's look at the commendation for the church of Sardis. None. What a punch to the gut. Like Jesus starts off his message and it seems like I'm about to get a commendation and then it turns opposite very quickly. Jesus knows their deeds. He's all-knowing. He's watchful. He's alert. We can't escape his gaze. He knows what the church is doing or not doing. He says, I know your deeds. And the reality is the church at Sardis may have lived at a certain time that gave themselves a reputation they may have lived like the church and they built a name for themselves, but he's referring to them being alive today. And what he's saying is, I know your deeds. And what seems to be happening is that the church has fooled man. They are pleasing man, but they haven't fooled Jesus. He says that they are dead. The condemnation that we see here is found in verse 1 and partially in verse 2. He says, you are dead. And he says, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. By him saying that, we know that there are some works. If we look in verse 4, we'll see that there are some faithful believers still in the church. So that's important to understand. But it seems like the church of Sardis was a lampstand without a light. Back to that picture in chapter 1, Jesus is standing amongst the lampstands, which represent the seven churches, and unfortunately, they have no light. It's not lit. There's a problem here, folks. There's no glory to God. There's no faithful witness coming out of this church. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Sardis was not doing that. Sardis was lacking obedience. They were not abiding, and therefore there was no fruit. There's no spiritual sustenance. There's no power coming through them because they're not close to Jesus. Their light is not being seen. But how does the church get to be like this? How does a church die? Pastor Steve talks about this all the time. The main way a church dies is they have a loss of mission. They lose the commands of Jesus. They no longer follow what he says. And when we lose mission, we become self-focused. Everything becomes about us. We turn inward. The next program, the next event, the next teaching, the next thing that we can do to entertain ourselves. And it's not that those things are bad in themselves. It's that they miss that all things were to be done for the glory of God and the sake of others. Love the Lord your God, love others. So all these things are just happening within the church. They've lost mission. When you lose mission, you live on past accomplishments. Remember the old days? Remember when we used to do that? Remember that VBS when we had 400 people back in the day? That's not what God wants. We can't live in the glory days, the old days. Because guess why? Yes, God has saved me and I have a testimony from 2006 when he brought me out of death and into life, into his kingdom. But God wants me to walk with him because he wants to continue to write a story through me. He wants to influence people through me. My ever-growing testimony is supposed to share new stories. I heard from a, a, a navigator guy, Justin Gravity, says Christians got to stop saying the same old stories. What's your new testimony? What's God been doing in your life? Share it. The deeds become weak in quantity and quality. So now the church is like, hey, look, we're a church. We just got to do something. Just do something. And what they end up doing is things that maybe are good, but they're not best because there's no mission. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They end up looking like a social club versus a hospital for sinners. John Stott says, we administer great projects and we create impressive committees, but we often leave the Holy Spirit out. He has rightly been called a forgotten member of the Trinity. Only when the church of Christ is filled with the spirit of Christ can spiritual death be banished and a name for life have any reality behind it. Folks, the church exists to make disciples for the glory of God and to advance his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel for God and for the sake of others. Dawson Trotman said that believers are born to reproduce. And when a church doesn't do that, Jesus sees them as dead, sterile, complacent, useless, apathetic. They've allowed their comfort to become their Christ. That's not a good thing, folks. I don't know about you, but I don't want that for us. Desert Springs, we're staying on mission. But we have to ask ourselves, how would Jesus view us? Are we reaching the community around us? Are we living on mission? Showing Jesus with our lives and sharing Jesus with our lips. It's things that we talk about every single week. Are we actually making disciples of Jesus or just followers of something? Do we love Jesus? This is what matters here. Fall in love with Jesus, church. Listen to me. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. 
Jesus wants to reveal more of himself to you, but you've got to obey. His love language is obedience. That's what he desires. Folks, if Jesus wrote you a letter, what would he say? How would he see you? Another thing that happens when a church dies is they choose happiness over holiness. And the quickest way to fall into this is that we start to have fleshly indulgences. Sin is greater than my God. My desire and temptation is stronger than the Spirit. I want this more than I want God. Our love just grows cold. We can't do that. Verse 4, we see that it says, a few had not soiled their garments. That means most had Folks, the world is going to get worse. It's already in a place, if you have not noticed, it's terrible. It's backwards. And Paul talks a little bit about this to, uh, to Timothy. And he says that all these things, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be all these kinds of people. And it says, and they will hold to a form of godliness, although they will deny its power. Folks, this is something that we are dealing with today, and this really frustrates me. When you choose happiness, you choose that new truth, right? That new truth that says, hey, turn from the scriptures because I can interpret it and tell you what it means better. A new revelation. Someone born today somehow can tell us what Jesus meant a lot better than the apostles could, right? And what we do is it causes us to turn from the faith given once and for all to the saints to something new that makes us happy and that fits in the, the desires of the culture, we will not do that. We will stand on the authority of God. We will go according to what he has said, and we will not bend to a new truth. Don't let those things tickle your ears, folks, or you will find yourself giving yourself over to the culture. And the world will tell you how to live, and you will just love for the sake of love. It won't even matter anymore. Just, hey, no love, love, love. You will no longer speak the truth that Jesus intended for you to speak. Don't fall into that place. Because when you do, now you avoid persecution, you let the culture tell you how to live, and the temptation and the pressures are just too strong. I will look more and more like the world every single day. Folks, I want to point out that there is no mention of persecution or pressure on this church. Where does Jesus talk about their toil or their perseverance or their suffering? The way I see it, the church of Sardis has either boarded themselves up in a building and never come out, or they just don't go out into the world to engage the culture for the cause of Christ. Folks, why aren't the Romans and the Jews persecuting this church? They were not living a godly life. They were asleep. Paul writes, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Folks, I don't want to be hung on a cross. I don't want my head chopped off. I don't want those things. And oftentimes, that's what we see persecuted. We just think of that. But honestly, if you go forth into the darkness, the evil one comes out. It's just what happens. If you go for the glory of God, you take the gospel into the world, even with your loved ones, they will not like you sometimes. They will come against you. They won't want you over at their house. They will persecute you. But it's worth it. Because it gives God glory, and it helps them to hear the truth. Folks, we can't be afraid of that. God gives us this command here. This is the remedy for the condition of the church. He says, wake up 
and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Wake up! I like that I get to say that in the sermon, okay? And I didn't have to say it, right? So it's your time, now you have to listen, okay? If you weren't already awake. But what God is saying here is you fell asleep on the job, and this word is active. He's not just saying, hey, wake up in a moment, like a snapshot. He's saying, wake up and keep watching. I'm reminded of the general orders. I was a Marine, right? It tells me that I'm supposed to uh, stand in my post in a specific way, okay, to walk my post in a military manner, keeping observant, right, to never quit my post until properly relieved. He's telling them, wake up, keep watching, stay alert. The enemy has scaled the walls, folks. Strengthen the things that remain. There's still hope. If you will listen and you will obey. Look, there's some people over here who have not soiled their garments. They're walking faithfully. Follow their example. There's an ember in the fire. Fan the flame. Fan it. Build it. Strengthen it. Let's go. Get to work, folks. He's telling Sardis, remember how you received the gospel. And this word is keep on remembering. Bear in mind the truth that you have, the things that you receive. Live according to it. Keep it. Obey it. Do what it says. And repent. Their life was not reflective of one that would have been good in the name of the church or to their God. They would have smeared the name of Jesus. This word repent, we talked about it, this change of mind that leads to action, a change in our life, but Jesus is not saying this is the process of sanctification that you will just continue to take this long process. This word repent is a snapshot. He's using it in this tense. Do it now, okay? Have you ever told your kids, get up now, right? Do it now, and that's what he's saying. Stop living the way that you're living now. It's important for us to understand that he was not fooling around. Jesus wanted action. He wanted these things to be seen. James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This is important. Two notable incidents, folks. What did I say? What happened when Sardis was conquered? A man climbed the wall and found there's no guard, no one watching, no one alert. The Sardinians woke up to the enemy in charge. And guess what, folks? That's what's about to happen to this Christian community. But even worse, not at the hands of the enemy, but of Jesus. Jesus says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. This is tough, right? But it's true. Jesus will discipline his church. And when we look at this discipline and judgment from Jesus, many people see this verse for, from a, because there, there are some parallels to what Jesus said in the Gospels, and that he is referring to his second coming. But I want to point out to you that he says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come. Folks, think about this. Is his second coming, Jesus' second coming, dependent upon if the church of Sardis repents or not? No. Jesus is coming regardless if they do. So I think that he's referring more to a specific judgment and discipline for this church because they're not doing what he says. 
a special visitation. And I'm not saying he's showing up in his robes at the church, but he is going to judge them. They are going to experience discipline. Remember the writer of Hebrews, he says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. A good dad disciplines his son. Folks, this is easy for me. I don't know about you, but I look at this, and this is what I say. This is is simple. Wake up, obey what I say, change your life, or you're going to be punished. Do what I say, or you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer a nice little swat on your butt. I don't know what the punishment actually is going to be. But folks, I know that when Jesus says it, he means it. And it's not going to be good if he finds you in sin. Jesus does promise some things here, though. And I want you to pay attention to it. He says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and will not erase his name I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Folks, Jesus is now talking about a faithful few in the church. There are some that are walking in a manner that's worthy of God. He says they have not soiled their garments. They've abstained from the culture and those sexual sins and the things that that would be their vice. Okay, they are walking in a specific way. They are not walking in unrepentant sin. They're walking in a way that God is pleased with. Folks, when Jesus comes, will he be ashamed of the way we're living our life? Will he find us caught in the act of sin? Or will he find us on guard, on watch, walking, observing, waiting for the Savior's return, eagerly awaiting We need to live a life of purity and righteousness. That's what he's called the church too. And these faithful few are representing that. John says, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. We do not want to be feeling shame when Jesus shows up as his children. He goes on and he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but everyone is a sinner. And when I became a Christian back in 2006, that didn't disappear. I'm still sinning. I don't want to sin, but I do fail at times. But I remember what Jesus says, and I'm going to obey what John wrote here, and I will confess my sin before the Lord, and he will forgive it because he is faithful, and he will wash my robes clean. He will cleanse me from all unrighteousness so that my garments are not soiled. And that's the point here, folks, is that your heart needs to be towards the Lord. He will forgive you. Don't walk in unrepentant sin. He says that they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. What a promise. Now, understanding the, this white, the, the definition of this, many people have a lot of different Definitions. Take time and study it if you want. Some say purity, others festivity, others say victory. There are many different interpretations of the white robes, folks. But what I want to point out is that these few have chosen to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that 
was worthy to the Lord, and they were promised that they would walk with him in white. Our lives should represent this same sort of walk. It's not too late to start walking in a way that would bring God glory until we see him face to face. Paul wants us, he talks about that to the Philippians, he talks about that to the Colossians, walk in a way that's in a manner that's worthy to the Lord, in a way that pleases him in all respects. Walk like Christians. Folks, there's a reward for, the, for walking faithfully in this life and the life to come. This promise is for us too. We will be with him forever in all eternity, but we have to start now. The relationship is here, and one day all that was lost in the garden will be restored. We will be with him. Jesus moves, and he starts talking about some promises to the overcomer, and he makes three promises, and I think that this is a general call to those who overcome. He who overcomes will experience these promises. But what's an overcomer, folks? John wrote in 1 John, he said, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The promise to the overcomer, the one who's born of God, who has come to faith in him as Lord and Savior, the one who believes that he is the Son of God and the Messiah and has come to, them for, come to him for forgiveness, will be clothed in white garments. Those folks will receive a robe. You will find that all over Revelation. And they were given a robe. They were given a robe and they were clothed in white. The church will be clothed in white garments. Jesus promises that. He promises that he will never erase their name from the book of life. This verse can cause some people some issues because the way Jesus phrased it, it sounds as if one's name can be removed from the book of life. So what do I have to do to make that happen? How many sins? Well, I don't believe that, folks from the perspective from eternal security. And why we have problems with this verse is depending upon how we think about eternal security and how we think the name enters the book of life or how it's removed. So I'm gonna give you a couple of different examples of things that people might believe. I believe that once you come to Jesus, you are his. You are in his hand and nothing can separate you from him. You are saved forever, okay? Now, I've always believed back in the day, this was something that I just believed for a long time, that when I came to believe, my name was written in the book of life. Now, if you believe that you can lose your salvation, this verse doesn't cause you any problems because you agree with it, except it causes you problems because you're probably going, I don't know if I have salvation. And folks, I want to talk to you. I love you. and I want to help you to see that his promise is for eternity and it's faithful and it's true. But another way of looking at this is that the names have been written in the book, all of creation, all who have been born were written in the book of life. And when that person dies, if they had not come to know Christ, their name is blotted out of the book of life. There are verses in Revelation 13, Revelation 17, it says that our names are written in the book from the foundation of the world. God saw outside of time everyone who'd be created, and maybe there's a register of all life. And if you die and you don't know Christ, your name's removed. One thing I want to make a point about both of these views, though, is that whoever's name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. That's what it says. 
But I also want to give you this perspective, that maybe Jesus is giving a double assurance to the one who is an overcomer, just saying, I will never remove your name. He's just reassuring them that you are secure in your salvation because it's in my hands. You will be with me forever. And lastly, Jesus says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. What a day that will be that you stand and hear your name confessed by Jesus before the Father and his angels. I know Trevor. Trevor, he's mine, right? I know him, right? I could just name off all your names, okay? So I just threw that out there. What a day to hear our name from the Savior confessed. That's a promise that he gives to the one who overcomes, the one who puts their faith in him. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. That first causes some issues to folks, but I believe it's a heart condition. Have you come by faith? Do you believe he's your Savior? Have you trusted in him alone? Then you'll be confessed before the Father on that day. The promise is clear. If you are an overcomer, you are his, and the call is for everyone. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Folks, this is a familiar invitation from Jesus. In the Gospels, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. In all of the letters to the churches, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. This is an invitation for everyone who hears this message to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And that's what I hope for you guys today. That as we've listened to this message to the church of Sardis, that we've heard the Holy Spirit speak to us, and we will respond. And maybe you're here today, and you needed that wake-up call. Maybe for you, you needed to be removed from your spiritual slumber and reminded to remember how you've received the gospel that you would begin to obey it and you would repent from the sin of apathy and you begin to walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. Maybe you needed to hear that today to get you back on the right track. Praise God for his faithfulness to speak to our lives, respond to the Holy Spirit and live in a way that would bring glory to God. Maybe today you needed to hear that the overcomer will be clothed in white their name will never be removed from the book of life and that Jesus will confess their name before his Father. Maybe you've been working hard and you've been toiling in your faith. You've been struggling and it's been difficult and there's been persecution and you want to live for Jesus and you just needed that encouragement that you're his. You'll be with him forever. Respond to the Spirit. Praise God. And maybe you're here today and you needed to hear it's not too late. There's still time. Jesus hasn't come yet. Even though you're a sinner and you deserve to be punished and sent to hell, there's still time. If you can hear my voice, it's not too late. For God is merciful and he doesn't want to punish you because you're a sinner, he has to. The scriptures are clear, you awake. God will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. And that's why he's declaring to all men that they should repent, that they should turn to him, leave their old lives behind because he's solved our problem in the person of Jesus. It's not too late. He hasn't come. You can still come to him by faith. You can be saved today. Jesus suffered and died 
on the cross. He rose again. He conquered death. He paid the penalty for all of our sins once and for all. And he is offering us forgiveness and the gift of eternal life if we would come to faith in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved now, right now, for all eternity. If you are here today and you have not yet done that, it's not too late. But let me remind you of what Jesus says at the end of Revelation. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. You cannot wait. You cannot wait until that day. Turn to Christ today. Trust in him and you will be an overcomer. You will be clothed in white. Your name will be written in the book of life and he will confess you before his father. Let us respond to the spirit today. If you are here today and you have not made that decision to trust in the Lord, come see me. I would love to talk to you. Come talk to one of our folks at the, at the prayer banner. They'd love to pray for you. Let's respond to the Spirit and pray now.